Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And I'm Jess Dickey. And not to get all political or anything two years before there's even going to be a vote, but hey, let's talk about the presidential candidates. Just one for today. Just one for today. Um, Because I... Well, basically this started because I posted something tongue-in-cheek and everyone was like, what? Why? I'm like, okay, fine. I really like Andrew Yang. Me too. Okay. All right. What was the thing you posted? I posted... Can you give us background? (laughs) I just posted on my blog. I Just a simple two-line... thing uh post i guess all right i'm gonna come out and say it anyone who doesn't vote for andrew yang is a bad person <laughs> <laughs> i missed that yeah and that was that was just kind of a call back to the old old um less wrong post of eliezer saying i'm just gonna come out and say it anyone who doesn't get cryonics for their children is a bad person which is actually you know like a serious thing i could get behind but uh i was i meant to tongue-in-cheek right um and then everyone was like that seems really strange coming from you i i have a hard time Seeing you calling people morally bad for their political judgments, I was like, okay, people are taking me way too seriously. I should expand on this. Um, Or people just don't know you well enough. Or possibly, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But uh, I linked to an article saying uh, Andrew Yang comes out as ex-goth or something. (laughs) I did see that one going around. It's pretty wonderful. Wait, Andrew Yang came out as as ex-goth? You know, he says he's ex-goth, but can you ever truly be ex-goth? No, the... makeup and stuff just sinks in and becomes part of you exactly yeah Yeah. so he is he is um pretending to be a normie for a while i guess god (laughs) if he if he came out with like black lipstick and eyeliner like to give his inauguration speech right i would would probably (laughs) i would sob with patriotic pride yes yeah we finally reached there it's been a long time since i've actually been excited for any presidential candidate ever and I, the reason I posted that was because I was actually excited for Andrew Yang. As my quick pitch to why you guys should vote for him, even though he's sure not to win the primary, but vote for him in the primary then, I guess, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sounds really weird to say. I The more I read about him, the more I think I like him personally. And I know people are always saying you shouldn't vote for the guy you want to have a beer with, right? Vote for the guy who's actually capable at running the country. And for the most part, I agree with this. Uh, But I think people's personality is also important because you can't predict all the shit that's going to happen in four years. You could be living at like the height of American peace and prosperity and suddenly someone flies two planes into your two biggest towers and now the world's going to chaos and no one could predict that and how you, who you are as a person affects somewhat how you're going to react. Well, and also like, isn't the kind of person you want to have a beer with I'm trying to think of somebody that, that I wouldn't want to hang out with who I'd also want to be president. Maybe Hillary Clinton might be an example, but I think it'd be interesting talking with Hillary Clinton for, you know, as long a couple hours. Yeah, know? she's not the person I'd chill and have a beer with. Yeah, although it would be, I wouldn't pass up the opportunity. Right. You know? Then again, I wouldn't pass up the opportunity to have a beer with Trump either. And that's that's more <laughs> out of just like... For the spectacle? To, to, to finally be able to say things that, you know, mm. I've always wanted to say. I just uh, want to observe him. Like, is he always as weird as he is when he's... I mean, he has to be, right? In public appearances, he's so weird. He's probably even weirder in non-public appearances. I mean, he allegedly drinks like 12 Diet Cokes a day and like orders McDonald's every single day and has it delivered to the White House. Like that sounds like a weird dude, even if he wasn't president, right? <laughs> yeah. um, that does sound very American. <laughs> it sort of does, but like that's not even, I don't have any friends who eat McDonald's every day. Yeah. You know? um, and nothing, not, not like a judgment thing. It's just like that's... That's that shows poor judgment. Yeah. So just like, you know, 
I, I for whatever reason hitting like low-hanging fruit with his food choices like you know well cooking a, an expensive piece of steak and then putting ketchup on it like that's that's weird right uh <laughs> you apparently you've just touched one of jess's that is a pet issues. peeve of mine yes ruining expensive food no i um people that i like cooking and i have an ex who i would like spend a long time marinating a nice steak and then like cooking it and then yeah he would put ketchup on it and i was just like why why would you do this to me personally <laughs> but but what if they like it better with ketchup yeah he did like then it get a with cheap ketchup. piece of meat that doesn't take the long like you can you can put ketchup on anything right and guess, it tastes the exact same yeah. it's so, so overpowering well whenever i go to a bar and i ask for you know a coke and vodka people ask me what kind of vodka you want with that i'm like get me the cheap stuff i'm putting it in coke i won't be able to tell <laughs> right <laughs> so, that's what the coke is for yeah exactly so but if you, but if you but if you mixed coke if you drink coke mm-hmm. like with you know three parts coke and one part 60 dollar vodka mm-hmm. we'd think you're weird right right so, but i mean that's the thing like what if you're having a a really expensive whiskey that's been aged in a barrel for however long they do the whiskey things i don't know shit about whiskey and you mix it with coke wait okay you could overpower it with Coke and ruin it, right? Or you can add just a little bit of Coke, just like to enhance the flavor. And maybe that's what he was doing with the ketchup. It's, it's not like he was smothering it with it's, ketchup, it's right? He was smothering I, it with ketchup. Aww. Anyway, let, let's get back to Andrew. Well, I, just, I feel bad about shaming people for what they like. You know? Me either. No, but I do let's, too. Let's just be fair. Trump is not a person of moderation of anything, right? <laughs> so you can, be, you, can, you can bet without looking at anything, it's probably too much. Hmm. And I'm, only, I'm always willing on the food because I remember... This was like a thing for years when Obama put Dijon mustard, mm-hmm. and it was like how how unpresidential or something. Remember <laughs> Dijon how, mustard? Yeah, I don't know why, but <laughs> okay, yeah. and, and the tan suit thing that was you know on the news for months. So uh, you mentioned it's been years since you're excited about a candidate. Was it like 2008? Last time you were excited, or was it before that? With the original Obama run? Yeah, I was somewhat excited about that too. I don't I don't remember. I, I, think... I don't I don't think I knew anybody who wasn't swept up in how exciting that was. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was, was also turning 18 because I'm secretly a baby, so. <laughs> right. I was definitely I was excited for Obama, but not quite the same as this because there were other options that didn't suck in 2008, whereas like I cannot vote for most of the Democratic primary candidates candidates right now because they all voted for Fosta Sesta. And I have a hard rule that I will never, ever vote for anyone who voted for Fosta Sesta. Unless they're running against Donald Trump in the primary in 2020. I will never, ever vote for anyone who voted for Fosta Sesta. That's super annoying. I know. All I've right. had a number of people say that, and I, I guess I should address it at some point. I just, to me, someone who voted for that, it shows their absolute lack of character and the fact that they're willing to sacrifice whoever they need to, especially the most powerless, if it'll get them political advantage. And to me, that says they would be more than happy to usher me into the ovens or wherever if they needed to do it to win an election. And I'm just not okay with that. I, wait a sec. Um, can you define what FOSTA SESTA is? I know you talked about it on other podcasts, but just in case people are listening the first time. Oh, okay. And wondering why you're running straight to the Holocaust with it. So, <laughs> so what, what makes that the same as, as Hitler lining people up in, in Auschwitz? Because it is singling out the most vulnerable in our population for further abuse and degradation of their lives. Uh, can you d- define yes, what yes, it is? Pasta <laughs> Sesta is the bill that uh, supposedly is supposed to make human trafficking illegal, which is dumb because, first of all, human trafficking is already illegal. But uh, it, it was touted as we all think that sex slaves are bad, so you should vote for this. And literally everyone who's ever been in the sex worker industry, anyone who's known any sex workers, anyone who knows anything about women's issues went to the lawmakers and were like, hey, uh, what this actually does is make 
the lives of sex workers much more dangerous. It forces them back into the streets, back into under the the quote unquote protection of pimps. It takes power away from people to choose their clients and to be safe and makes everything risky again. Was prostitution legal for a while and I missed the memo? It was never technically legal, but there was online resources where you could advertise and where you could screen your clients and things like that. And uh, FOSTA SESTA not only got rid of that, it gutted a lot of internet protections for even people who aren't doing anything with sex or with pornography. It's probably the reason why Tumblr went all crazy uh, anti-porn. Now a website can be hold, held... It can just be deleted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, the, the website can be... The owner of a website can be held uh, in criminal contempt, like go to jail, if anyone on their website did use their website for anything that might be sex and money related, prostitution well, related. Wasn't wasn't Tumblr's thing that it hosted child pornography for years? No. And that... I'm pretty sure that was a big part of it. I, you, you had a... a a Eula that said you can be 13 to use this place and we're not going to check if you post nudes of yourself. And there were tons of nudes of children on there for years. So like Pornhub's fine. You can still yeah. post your own amateur content in Pornhub. Yeah. I, again, I don't know the ins and outs and you know way more about this than I do, but I'm just thinking like the, the, the Tumblr thing I think was largely due to the fact that they went unchecked with a bunch of stuff that we all probably agree is not cool to have on the web. Right. right? But the rest of your point stands. Yeah. Except for the part where you're running all the way to saying that they would sell out... I know you're being hyperbolic, but where I, they would sell out anybody... They, not anybody, but they would sell out me if it was an advantage advantageous to them. If for some reason I was a hated minority and people didn't care about me... Okay, I like Archer. Great show, right? The, the cartoon show. In the very first episode, though, they have a dead hookers in the trunk joke. His friend at the time says... Aren't, don't we call them call girls? And Archer goes, no, when they're dead, they're just hookers, right? Which, ha ha, I guess that's funny. But again, it's like sex workers don't count as people. Even up to a few years ago, it was okay to joke about how they aren't people. I, I knew some sex workers, probably still know some sex workers in my life. And I'm not okay with that at all. And so it, it really bothers me when someone's like, okay... Here's people that no one cares about. They joke about how inhuman they are. Let's make their lives even worse and less safe. That's what they were doing for political advantage. And so if I was someone that society didn't care all that much about and considered borderline unhuman anyway, then the politician that voted for FOSTA SISTA would be just as happy to vote for something that would make my life more dangerous for whatever little political advantage. So I guess two things. One... It depends on, you know, the era. I'm not defending the Archer joke, but, like, the, the joke that, like, X person isn't human. I've said on the show that, like, when somebody's handing me coffee at the drive-thru, they're not, like, a person to me. They're a coffee delivery person. They're a coffee delivery machine, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, in that sense, it's dehumanizing. Yes. Um, and so othering people to the point of non-humanness isn't necessarily a sign of psychopathy or, or anything like that. But there isn't a whole culture about how it's okay to laugh about dead coffee salesmen. No, probably not. And I, I guess I didn't know a lot of people in the dead hooker comedy community, but was there any impact that was positive to this about like actually doing anything about sex trafficking? No. No? Was, no. was there anything worse? Was, uh, there, even, any, was even, there any plausible way that it could have? Even law enforcement came out and said, this will make our jobs harder. It will make sex trafficking worse. And it has. Okay. All right. I mean, I was going to say, if it if it did make sex, sex trafficking harder to do, right. then I was like, hey, you know what? That sucks. But maybe including all this, you know, pl uh, what do you call it? Puritan bullshit about prostitution is the only way to get, make it, get it bipartisanly passed. Yeah. Then it's like, all right, that's the cost we paid to, you know, to help with some slavery issues, right? Um, but if it didn't even do that, then that's super annoying. No, and it's forced if, things back under deeper underground and has made things worse. Womp. Yeah. All right. Well, 
So anyways, long-ass tangent. None of that is relevant to why I like Andrew Yang, aside from the fact that he didn't vote for it, which I realize is only because he's not a politician and he didn't have the opportunity to vote for it. But from the things I've read about his personality, he seems like the kind of person who wouldn't have voted for it anyway. Yeah, or at least he would have had some kind of thoughtful process behind why he did or didn't vote for it, Mm -hmm. as opposed to knee-jerk, oh, like, sex trafficking gotta vote against that yeah (laughs) or it'll look bad sex trafficking is the current satanic cults well yeah and i guess like you said it is political expediency and whatever all that stuff but that's just politics which again it sucks and that's a drag but like if anyone's like hey no we can't do this they'd be thrown through the mud and be like look that person's you know pro-sex trafficking there's six people i think it was six people that voted against it extremely small number but there were a few yeah and i'm sure if they were big figures they would have got a bunch of shit for it I don't know Which, if they were big figures. They could have said, hey, this bill is bullshit and this is why. I guess it's just, you know, it's, it's politics on the big scale, but even like at a low at a low scale, you know, the standing up and saying this is a bad idea and I'm going to side with the criminals or I'm going to side with uh, um, the drug dealers or something. You're going to people will take advantage of that to say, look, they're a terrible person. We shouldn't we should get them. We should take away their power. Well, right? I mean, and that's exactly what happens and how you get to look this person side with the Jews. He's a terrible person. Yeah, I prefer more people to stand up for their actual principles. I do too. I'm just saying it's not a. I don't get me wrong. I'm I'm very much for that, but it's not a sign of a monster or a, or a, a a gas chamber loving asshole. No, 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 to, no. To, to endorse that, I, I think banal. I think evil is pretty banal. In it's not monsters and mutants. It's people who are just doing some expediency things here and there, and sometimes things get run away. You know, with that. Uh, so I don't I don't think any of these people are evil. I just hate them for not being at least a little bit good. All right. Well, we'll 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 table all that for a while because I, I have a lot more to say about that, especially given the upcoming election. Yeah. yeah. But um, I like Andrew Yang too. Okay. So I think that's great. Yeah. Um, so no, Andrew Yang. The reasons that I'm excited for actual Andrew Yang, in addition to not having any um, viable. Uh, other people I can vote for, is that he seems to be kind of more or less our people. He comes from Silicon Valley entrepreneurship culture. Oh, yeah, just like the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he is very concerned about future tech uh, issues that are coming up. And as far as I can tell, he's the only candidate who actually can see the looming AI apocalypse coming and is trying to do something about it and meet the future head on instead of just doing the normal rote things that everyone else is doing. Like, hey, let's work on the economy and keep the military strong and do whatever it is that we do. Yeah, let's maintain the status quo. Right. Maybe make things slightly better. Yeah, exactly. He's, in he's, non-disruptive ways. He's, he's like, with as an asteroid is streaming towards the Earth, all the other politicians are worried about unemployment rates and, and crime rates, which are also things to worry about, but no one's fucking looking at the asteroid. And he's like, we should do something about this fucking asteroid. Yeah, and I, I think it's great. He has um, a literacy with tech and with, I don't know, a, a level of in-touchness that I've, I can't, because the last three years have taken, you know, 50 years. I can't remember if, if you know, this has been around before, right, where... Um, you know, I think Obama made, he, he definitely made noises about like automation and stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. in fact, they like the white house, you know, had that memo like his last month in office about, you know, by 2030, we estimate what 25% of jobs will be automated or something. Oh. Um, like they, they conduct some study about, you know, like waitress jobs, retail jobs and driving jobs. Yeah. yeah. Like all of those are going away in the next 15 years, next 11 years by, by, by a lot of estimates. I think MIT had a concurrent study that also agreed that came to that same conclusion. So 
I mean, he's aware of it, but yeah, Yang's big on that. He's got, I mean, he's not, and he's not just up there complaining either. He's got solutions, which I like too. Yeah. I mean, for starters, he's proposing creating a department of technology and a uh, secretary of technology, which I'm shocked that no one else has done this yet, considering how freaking important that is in in the current day. Yeah. Our current president like conducts his (laughs) policies like directly off Twitter and yet like, (laughs) And then our secretary, or what is it, the um, the head of our information security council or something, whatever, uh, Chris Christie, I forget what his title was, hmm. um, when he had that tweet that he forgot to put a space between the period and the next ent- and the next word, mm-hmm. that HTML can render that as a hyperlink. Oh. And so somebody bought that domain and like, you know, said like, <laughs> Trump sucks or something and just put that on there. Awesome. Um, and he's like, I've been hacked. It's this. Oh, thing. no. And it's like, you don't know how a hyperlink works. And this mm-hmm. is the guy who's, you know, our... our our chief of, in this area in the country or in the white house so yeah, yeah. um yeah it'd be nice to have tech litter people actually in charge of tech decisions yeah like cybersecurity stuff too mm-hmm. um thinking about like the russian hackers the oh, i had something else and now i forget no it's good yang's literacy on the influence of technology in our lives and in a way that like uh social media platforms have gotten away with basically everything to this point by just saying oh we're just a platform and people sign up for it and they get we so we can do whatever we want and you know they they submit their data to us and they said it's okay and he's like yeah that's really weird we wouldn't sign up we're like we wouldn't be okay with that literally on us in our lives we can't let that keep going either so we got to start holding them accountable too yeah he's, um, he's proposed a policy of everyone owns their own information uh the privacy issue yeah, yeah, yeah that was the thing i was trying to think of that the companies have to tell you what information they are collecting on you and what they are doing with it and you can tell them no which, which would be pretty cool yeah. yeah we should own our own information i wonder how that'll ever pass because i mean something and like that they you can ask them to give it to you which one a guy in my book club gets so fucking pissed at his phone he's like i can enter my contacts into my phone but it will not tell me what i entered into it unless i agree to these terms of service which i refuse to agree to <laughs> so he now cannot get that i mean he already knows the information but he's fucking pissed off that he can enter it into the phone but the phone won't give it back to him that's weird right yeah yeah you know there are non like social media example in phone examples like uh, i have a credit card with chase and somewhere in my 40 page agreement says like, Hey, we're going to give your information to, I guess, like everything that you buy and when you buy it and where we're going to give all the information to whoever wants it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Experian and the other big the three credit agencies. Yeah. The big yeah. credit agencies, we're going to give it all to them. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't have an agreement. I don't have an agreement with Experian. Is it Experian? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Experian is uh, one of them. Um, uh, but they, they keep track of my credit score. If they have a data leak that I didn't know that I had a contract with them and my information's out, well, that sucks. And that's that's <laughs> that's my problem now, right? Yeah. Um, so it would be kind of, And when when did that act pass? It was re- recently in, his, in history where I'm allowed to get a copy of my credit report for free. Yeah. Um, was that in the 2000s or late 90s? It doesn't matter. It was it was way too late to be like conscionable. Yeah. The fact that I had to pay somebody to be like, all right, you guys are using this fucking magic number to determine my life. Can I please see it? And they're like, yeah, sure. Give us $200. And that's that's a weird way to go about doing yeah, business, right? That's taking you hostage. And before we jump uh, onwards, his Department of Technology, he specifically called out would look into AI existential risk related items and keep the White House appraised of them. That's pretty cool. That is pretty fucking cool. How, what other candidate even knows what AI existential risk is? Yeah, I think if anyone wants to to hear a bit about like how he how he talks and how he's engaged on things, and he's he's he talks like a politician because he's he's trying to, but he's also he doesn't talk like a normal politician because he's not been inundated with the, you know his whole life. But mm-hmm. he was on the Joe Rogan Experience for like three hours. He was on Sam Harris's podcast. I and, heard him on Freakonomics, which was a really good episode as well. Yeah, and I mean, he just he he's 
down to earth and, and and that's not like that's not a good that's not a, a quality of why he should be president mm-hmm. but it makes him fun to listen to and i guess by that i mean that he's in touch yeah yeah i know. think being a good communicator is actually a really good quality for a president to have yeah i just meant like his relatableness is something that i think is a good quality but not necessarily one that is necessary for uh being a good president but you know i remember like when mitt romney was trying to like he was one of the the poor folks they wanted to vote for him and be like oh yeah nascar i have some friends who own some teams or you know or it's like <laughs> uh all right cool thanks that's you know you you really get it yeah um you know you spend more on lessons with your dressage horse and i'll earn my entire life so like that that level of like disconnect is super annoying but it doesn't necessarily invalidate him as a as a good president right, right. um I mean, the fact that he's a religious nut job who wears magic underwear might, but uh, <laughs> it honestly, if he ran, it, that's my thing, and that's I get where you're coming from taking this stance with the uh, with that bill who that I can't remember what it's called. Fasta Sista. Fasta Sista. But like, if, if Mitt Romney ran as a Democrat in 2020, I'd vote for him in a hot second if he if he won the primary. Right. I mean, it could be literally, it could be George Bush, or I guess <laughs> no, because he ran twice already, right? But whatever. Yes. Um, it could be the first George Bush. He yeah. uh, only won once. He's dead, but yeah. Uh, Wait, is he? George W. George H. Uh, w. Bush, the dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, damn it! When did that happen? Uh, a couple years ago. Oh, okay. Or no, wait. Yeah, it was a couple years ago because Trump wasn't invited and then went anyway to his funeral. It was fun. Um, <laughs> wow. All right. But, and it was cute because he like, crashed a funeral. <laughs> George George W. Bush and uh, um, I, Clinton, Michelle B- Michelle Obama. Ah. Um, they have like the, this cute little relationship, and like apparently whenever they see each other, he like sneaks her candy. <laughs> And so there, there's a video like panning over the audience of the funeral and he's like handing her like a piece of candy from his pocket. Huh. Um, so like, you know, little things. Anyway, yes. Yang cares about AI and technology and automation. Yeah. But all right, cool. He cares. What's he going to do about it? What's what's his what's his brilliant idea to help to help solve this problem? Uh, well, the three letter summary is UBI. Uh, which is as so, sounds like a sexually transmitted disease. Can you can you explain what that is? <laughs> a universal basic income. Oh, that sounds like way worse. <laughs> a socialist. Oh damn! You get out of here. All right. Well, never mind. I can't vote for yeah. a damn commie. <laughs> well, um, his three big policies are that he supports UBI. He has he wants to have Medicare for all, and he wants to have human centered capitalism. So, they all seem a bit socialist. Yeah, and he, in fact, he would be running socialist if he, if if that was any more, if that was not, as, if that was not less viable than being as fringe as he is in running a Democrat. So I don't, I don't know if he would because he is a capitalist, right? He's an yes. entrepreneur. Well, he had said on the Rogan podcast that he's running Democrat because it's two party system. Right, right, right. Yeah. So he, I'm sure he would be running as whatever he could to get attention to UBI. I mean, he knows he's not going to win, as far as I can tell, and his major goal at this point looks to be shifting the Overton window to include discussion about UBI. And the Overton window, for people who are, I guess, unfamiliar, is a fancy term for what is in the realm of the politically acceptable to talk about, to do. Like, uh, hosting a communist revolution is not anything that anyone in government is even willing to entertain. Right now, UBI is kind of outside that window as well. Yeah, so the idea, and he, and he said something to that effect. I mean, he, he does, he thinks that there's a chance he could win. I mean, people have come from behind before, and he's getting a lot of traction. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, just being on Rogan's podcast means that, I don't know, what, 10 million Americans heard him and, you know, got to at least get exposed to him. Yeah. So, you know, the more of that that goes on, the better. I'm, I'm going to vote for him in the primaries, but, oh, wait, I need to register as a Democrat before I can vote in the, vote in the primaries, right? I'm not sure. Colorado recently changed how the primaries work. Oh, that's right. I it's remember. different this year, this year. All right, well, I'll double check. Yeah, um, I'll have to double check as well. Um, but the, yeah, 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 he's proposing a UBI, which is only a thousand dollars a month. So I'm not sure 
not quite livable, but would help a lot. Yeah, that's like 12000 a year Yeah, for everybody, uh, regardless of your income bracket. For every 18-year-old or older citizen. Right. And anyone who isn't already accepting government aid. Right. Um, if, you, if you're making 1200 bucks a month on government aid... Then if they offer you a thousand, then they can say, no, I'm going to keep what I've got. And that's, that's an option. Yeah. But if you're making 800 bucks a month in government aid, you can take the thousand instead, but not in addition to. So he, he did this on the Rogan podcast, which is fun. You know, the, the math, every American that's 18 plus uh, times a thousand bucks a month is what, $3 trillion or something. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, it gets down to like 1.5 really quick. And he, he, he burned through that in his five minute spiel. Um, I don't have full faith in his numbers. I think they're not bad, but I mean, for example, Amazon pays zero in taxes, right? For a company that pulls in a ludicrous amount of money. And yeah, he wants to capture some of that. Uh, I don't know how realistic it is, but on the other hand, I also think it's more important to be talking about the idea right now than to be trying to hammer down every single number. Like part of it was, uh, part of his numbers were once everyone's getting $1,000 a month, there's going to be less people who have to show up in the emergency room because they couldn't afford their $50 medication, right? And so we were going to see substantial savings from that sort of thing and from other knock-on effects of people having enough money to live. And to buy stuff. And to buy stuff, yeah. And yeah, part of it was also the, the, uh, you know, if you give poor people money, they put it back into the economy right away. So that helps speed up the economy. But again, that's more of a theoretical we don't know exactly how much it'll help and so putting a number estimate on it is kind of wishy-washy right it's like maybe you'll get that maybe you'll get less maybe you'll get more who knows but yeah he's got some interesting numbers yeah he thinks that implementing this ubi or i think he's calling the free the freedom dividend yes (laughs) which he said market tested better and it sounds much better Um, too it sounds very patriotic right you know Uh, it's my dividend for being a citizen of this country that's right he says that he believes this would permanently grow the economy by 12.56 to 13.10%, or about $2.5 trillion by 2025, wow. and that it would increase the labor force by 4.5 to 4.7 million people. Okay. Um, his math behind that is not on his website, but it's probably somewhere else. It'd be interesting to check up on it. I'm wondering if it's in his book that I haven't read. Um, it might be in his book. Yeah, and we'll do a. I think we'll do a full length episode on UBI, mm-hmm. probably coming up soon because we're talking about it now. But uh, yeah, we had a really good question sent in. Um, was it from the Reddit about UBI? Yeah, I think so, or an email. Um, I want to cycle back to that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll definitely hit that at some point because there's one. I've, I mean, it's something I, I'm interested in, and I'm not an economist, but frankly, it sounds good to me. So um, he's, he's also proposing what I like to call a income tax on robots, but which is more <laughs> commonly known as a VAT tax, value added tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in one specific case, he literally calls out, uh, the robotics, the robotic trucking industry is going to be making, saving about uh, $168 billion a year. If they replace all their truckers, let's tax a portion of that and give it back to the truckers that are being displaced from their job. Because even if you tax that at 20%, they're still saving well over a hundred billion dollars a year. And that money can go back into the truckers. It's basically another way to fund the UBI. He says you uh, would have carbon taxes because it would, because it sucks to have the climate go crazy on us. And those carbon taxes, instead of just being a drain on everyone, which uh, can cause riots, as we saw in Paris, uh, he goes into the freedom dividend. So the extra taxes that people are paying on carbon will be paid mostly by the heavy users like industry and will go to back to everyone. 
Which sounds kind of fair. Yeah. And that's that's always what bugged me is if one company managed to get the patent on all the self-driving cars somehow, so not just trucks, but Ubers and all of those, you know, there'll be a time maybe in 20 years where like owning a personal car will be like a weird eccentric thing that people do or just mm-hmm. old people do. I mm-hmm. can't wait to not have to own a car. I know, right? And, or to not have to, first of all, drive a car myself and secondly, drive a car myself with other humans on the road with me. Yeah. We're so bad at it. We suck at driving. Why did we think this was a good idea? <laughs> it was it was a quick idea to have, I guess. And it, But I mean, and it, there's, there's perks, but yeah, it's insane. And we're going to look back and be like, that's so weird we let people drive cars. And it's so weird that... So many people die. I know. Mm. All the time. And then at some point, there'll be cars like that don't have steering wheels because it's like, all right, there's, there's going to be no situation where you're better at this than I am. Ape, you just keep your hands off and you can sit in the back. I'd be happy to not have to find a place to store this huge piece of machinery for 99% of the time when I'm not using it. That costs hundreds of dollars. Well, yeah, if you're paying insurance and stuff, hundreds yeah. of dollars a month. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, you know, if I could order a lift and they're all over the place because there's, you know, parking lots are now just for, I'm assuming, public vehicles. Then I just get into it and punch in where I'm going into my phone and it takes me there and it's probably crazy cheap because I'm not paying a human to drive it and insurance would be cheaper on that stuff too. Then. Why would I pay to have my own car and manage all that stuff and fix it and all that? Yeah, pay so, for the insurance. Yeah. There'd probably be places where it's still advantageous to own your own car, like in rural areas where there isn't much service. Sure. And, you know, if, if you're, it's a dirt road or something. I've got friends living down dirt roads and, you know, like, yeah, that, that'll be harder to do, whatever. But in 20 years, who knows? Um, but what I was saying is that if, if one person owned all of that, you know, we would have... Five percent of the public out of jobs. It's three point five, I think, is invo- involved in driving in some at some capacity, right? We've got the, all those people just out of income, and then somebody, you know, a, a trillionaire, and it would be insane not to find a way to to, to capitalize on some of the stuff that they're making off of that, right? Just because they're you know, they're it's my it's my inner what do you call the like egalitarian? Uh, yeah, I guess you you have to at some point figure out how to all the the wealth that is going to be created by the robots doing all the labor and redistribute it to the humans agreed yeah mm-hmm. it sounds it sounds straightforward um and a ubi is one of the better ways to do that in my opinion it's gotta get implemented at some point before we have full automated full automation so we should probably get started on it that's the thing is we're looking if, we're if, looking at like 11 years for some of the for what 20 percent of jobs right yeah, yeah which is not full automation but at some point, there's going to be almost no job a human can do that's productive. Right. And at that point, what are we going to do? Starve to death because the machines can do all the food growing? Yeah. <laughs> it seems kind of dumb. We yeah. Get rid of a lot of these fake jobs that we currently have. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, also, poverty is a thing that exists mm. that this would help alleviate considerably. Yeah. And, and Harris had his anal- or his thought-provoking intuition pump of just like you know the trillionaires hiding behind their razor wire walled compounds and all the poor hungry people just banging at the doors because mm-hmm. it sounds like just it makes sense to get ahead of that rather than just wait for it to happen and see what we can do afterwards right because that's that's that sounds like it never work and before the trillionaires had to at least pay enough other humans to defend their land and that pay would have to include enough to pay for those humans friends and family right because otherwise i'm not going to defend someone just so that my brother can starve and with fully automated everything, they can create guards that'll don't need pay. Yeah, yeah, we'd be we're 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 on track to get fucked here, and <laughs> Yang sees that and is trying to do something about it. Right, so. and no one else really is. I mean, he has other non-tech related things that I like too. He there was one thing that he mentioned about 
uh, immigration that, I mean, so he's, he's pro, you know, he's not pro open border. I mean, he's pro knowing who's coming in out of the country and stuff, especially if everyone who live everyone who's a citizen gets a thousand dollars a month. Right. Um, but there was another thing that I liked that he'd said, Hey, if you come here and go to college, uh, rather than like go home and, you know, compete with us in the world market, we'll give you a green card. Mm-hmm. Like just stay here and keep working. We, we trained you up. We want We want to take advantage of that. That sounds, I'm not a, I'm not an expert, but that sounds awesome. Yeah. In, at least as intuition to me. So, and I think, I haven't heard anything that he said that's crazy that I don't like. Everything that he maybe he's probably said at least one thing that I dislike because everyone will. I'm just saying on the on the Rogan and the Sam Harris podcast. So four ish, four and a half hours of content. He didn't say anything. I'm like, oh man, that's a drag. I wish you weren't on that. Right, right. Um, he also said that he would want to decriminal. He would want to like on his first day in office, he'd want to pardon everybody who was put in jail for a nonviolent drug crime. Nice. Yes. He says that it would be a very busy day, but he'd love to go to every prison and high five everyone on their way out. Awesome. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it'd be crazy busy, but it'd be the best day ever. He also um, said he wants to decrim- decriminalize uh, small amounts of opioids. So. People who are right now, I mean, it sucks if you're using opioids, uh, especially just to escape from life, but you shouldn't be thrown into prison for it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, non-violent drugs, right? Yeah, yeah, Uh, exactly. Yeah, it would sure be nice if uh, we could just finally get past that. That'll be another thing that we look back on. And And that's another non-UBI, non-tech thing, just a little human-centered thing, since that's what you're talking about. And it's just just weird. It's it's surreal when you take, like, an outside view to look at this and be like, yeah, no, the current situation makes perfect sense. We need to keep this under control. Um, Because... It's. I mean, we've we've talked about drug stuff in the past, but like you know, the fact that weed is illegal and alcohol isn't, and I don't eat or I don't I don't smoke weed or drink all that much. I, I I've never I've never owned a pipe and I've never bought pot. So like I'm not I'm not defending this because I love using it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I've seen people on pot and I've seen people drunk and I'm like, why is this one okay? Yeah. Um, Tradition. Exactly. But how fucking stupid, right? Yeah. So, are you living in Denver County? No. Ah, okay. Why? Because What's you Denver have County until Tuesday, if you're in Denver County, to get your vote in, your ballot in, that's for decriminalizing psychedelic mushrooms. Oh, yes. I've heard about this. Fingers crossed. Oh, that's my vote I haven't right heard there. about this. Oh, yeah. In Denver, there it's on our ballot right now that uh, to decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms, it would be the lowest priority among Colorado law enforcement and no money could be spent on enforcing that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. They're one of the safest substances you can consume i mean um it might make you vomit <laughs> that's about it yeah i mean i, I yeah it, it also i don't know um what it's gonna look like with people being in a really altered state like being in public having freakouts, or trying to drive or something like that so that might be interesting but i feel like they aren't they legal in amsterdam i think pretty much everything's legal in amsterdam well and i don't think this would this would invalidate the laws against like public intoxication right yeah no like right now you can't be drunk and driving in public either so right it's like and you this... can't be like obnoxiously drunk in public right um so this would be just the same thing like if you're going to trip outside trip quietly politely just like when, when you're wandering around day drunk yeah so um it, <laughs> right. i don't suspect those numbers would go up all that much well, they might but i mean no one's no one i've never taken mushrooms if it's anything like other psychedelics no one's going to take these and be like i should start driving like, they're going to take this, like, I'm so glad I can't move right now, because if I was driving, I would kill myself in a hot second. There's probably going to be some there always bad is. things that happen, but I think that the positive, I think the benefits of legalizing it and not having people go to jail over possession of something that's safer than aspirin. Yeah. Uh, All the horrors of the drug war are not worth it. Yeah. It's back to the whole regulation uh, yeah. discussion. I think the the pot industry in Colorado has raised so much money over the last few years that they're like, all right, 
the schools are are taken care of uh let's start looking at homeless shelters and so surprisingly now, not really yeah i could have i read something just about this i didn't save it the, well because the money is being funneled in creative ways well i mean so it's earmarked for that but i know that they're at least expanding what they're planning on spending the, the increased tax revenue on including homeless shelters but what is it okay. sitting around not being used yet yeah the money can only be used for certain things and some schools are not really seeing any benefit because of it because of how the laws are written and eh, maybe a couple of years yeah um i mean when when was pot legalized like three years ago so mm, three or maybe four. four or five oh, it would have been it would have been obama era so it just yeah. seems like forever ago or right. it, it varies my, my perception of time is weird lately i mean um, it's legal now so it's always been legal right <laughs> that's right yeah i don't remember every time where ever it ever wasn't it's amazing how quickly we adapt to things right i don't have much else uh i kind of wanted to talk about the other two points in his like three big platforms uh which was the medicare and the human capitalism yes uh, the Medicare for All would be a public option or similar program, providing health care to all Americans. The idea behind that is it would shift the way doctors are compensated to promote holistic and empathic care, which means uh, doctors currently are incentivized to kind of have a factory system in their offices where they just bring as many patients in as possible, see them as quickly as possible. Doctors work crazy hours <laughs> they have a lot of responsibilities uh and a lot of patients fall through the cracks there so andrew yang uh, you can find out more about this on his website too but he was talking about a system uh, i think it was for like inuits i might be confusing that there was a system that he really liked where they were doing this holistic and empathic care where they're spending more time with patients and uh getting psychologists involved and trying to really combine the treating mental and physical illness which tend to be strongly correlated so uh, I like that. Yeah. And uh, this would also create incentives for and invest in innovative treatment methods and methodologies, which is not explained. And I'd like to hear more about how he plans to do that, I guess. All I know is that, well, I know two things, I guess. One of the only things I know is that every other first world country on earth has a uh, public option system where everyone is just covered and they all have better health care than us. And I don't know why we haven't implemented that yet because our healthcare system is completely fucked yeah so this this would do that and i would be very happy and the other thing i know is that when i was on medicare for uh eight months it was the best medical care i've ever had in my life yeah primarily because i could just go to a doctor when i needed to go to a doctor and that made a huge difference like nowadays i'm like could go to see a doctor, but uh, it's going to cost me a bunch of money. I have an appointment set two months from now anyway. I'm just going to hold on until then. And when, when I had Medicare, I was like, okay, this will cost me $3 cash. I can go. I, I When I needed physical therapy, I actually got better because I could go to physical therapy. Every other time in my life when I've needed the physical therapy, I went to one session, paid my $70, and then went home and did the rest of the stuff myself forever, right? And when I was on Medicare, they actually like walked me through a program where like after two weeks, they're like, okay, now you can start doing this instead. And oh my God, it made so much of a difference. Yeah. And I think uh, to Jess's point, all that you brought up about like a more holistic healthcare approach too. Um, doctor's jobs are going to be automated away too. Not, mm -hmm. not the, not necessarily the person that you go see to tell you what's wrong with you, but the like. The diagnostic exactly. process. Yeah, and then also um, a lot of them are already like, I, I see a like psychiatrist uh via the web and a lot of doctors are switching to the what is it like tel telecommunication style um therapists and whatnot there's not very many procedures that like you do need to be in person to do 
And I think there's going to be fewer of them, the better technology we get for like self-diagnostic tools. Robotic surgery is becoming a thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Like doctor's jobs will, again, there'll be purpose for, for medically trained humans, but I think less, and it won't be as valuable a profession when whatever the next version of Watson can, can tell you what's wrong with you when you walk into the room. So yeah, that'll be cool. And what is, what is a uh, human centric capitalism? Um, just a couple more things about the Medicare. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, Yang says that Medicare for all would fix the problem of people going bankrupt when they get sick or injured. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> what is it like 50, 50% of Americans can't afford a $500 expense that's unplanned. I don't know what the percent is. But I think it's I think it's something along maybe forty five percent or something. If it's anywhere near that high, then that's really upsetting. And it's it's that's roughly the case where yeah. a lot of people roughly one paycheck in, to paycheck. Yeah, and so the idea of like, oh no, your car needs repairs. That's a financial ruin for like, if not most people, like a th- at least a third, maybe forty percent. Yeah, but and even even if you like have a medical procedure that's five thousand dollars, right? There's some people where that's ruinous too. That oh, yeah. Not only do they not have anything close to $5,000 in the bank, but then you have weeks of recovery. You have all that time that you can't go to work, which means you aren't making the money, which you don't have anyway. Yeah, it's it's bankruptcy time. Yeah. It would um fix people's current shitty policies that don't afford them the opportunity to receive proper care. Mm. So As, yeah, that would be... My life prior to this. Yeah, well, a lot of, you know, preventative healthcare um just doesn't get done because people don't have the money or the time or the incentives to go see doctors and that inflates healthcare costs down the road because they're not getting things treated or you know receiving vaccines that could have prevented them from receiving a certain illness etc so it would let doctors stop working like factory workers (laughs) uh and it would fix that issue where people are relying on their employers for their healthcare benefits yes that's the main reason i'm still working because you need because you need the the insurance yeah yeah, yeah that's I, thing. I look at how much it costs to to self-insure i'm like there's no fucking way i could do this it is what keeps a lot of people enslaved to the working for the man and not working for themselves yeah and when i was looking to continue the policy that i had at my last job on the non-employer coverage option it was 570 dollars and 16 cents a month uh, yeah so it was good coverage but uh not i think that's and that's the case that's the case that the the second highest expense behind like rent or mortgage behind living is health insurance for the average american which is insane it's not even the cost of medicines the cost of like trying to not lose your home and your your life your your life i know people who've gone through medically uh medical induced bankruptcy or whatever where yeah double hernia all right cool well i guess we can get by on one car, you know, whatever. Assessors determine how many cars your family needs and if you get right. to keep your house and stuff, right? And uh, just because you got sick. It's ridiculous. I go to the doctor maybe twice a year, uh, sometimes not even that. And I have to, if I were to pay for my own medical insurance, be like $700 a month just so that I can go bankrupt anyway because the medical insurance doesn't cover everything. Yeah. I don't see the point in it. And yeah, it would give people the flexibility to find the jobs they actually want. And to, you know, go into business for themselves doing things that are more valuable, possibly, than the bullshit job they may have to have. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one thing that he emphasizes, he keeps, he keeps going back to in a lot of his, his dialogue, is that this, it's very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, this, this lets people more do what they want. And if they want to start a business, yeah. you know, like, again, the $1,000 a month, it's, um, you know, it's not enough to keep you afloat necessarily but it's enough to buffer if your business starts out small yeah and so like and yeah. I know at least what if you people... want to move relocate yeah. switch your job actually develop your life in some positive direction a lot of people end up stuck yeah 
or um you know it would give people the opportunity to pursue creative uh like like art and creative outlets uh let people who are caretakers for family members who have elderly or ill family members do that without like having to die (laughs) Mm -hmm. or or not being able to do it which is terrible um and it would encourage people to volunteer more and participate in their communities more where people end up uh not doing those things as much anymore because they just spend their lives working yeah it's hard to see how there's downsides i'm sure there are but i think the cost cost. mainly is the downside yeah yeah that sounds like an acceptable cost to me <laughs> kind of irrespective of the number That's, there's a way to make this work where we're a very wealthy country that like segues pretty well into the human capitalism i Are, think i think you just to quickly counterpoint that i think until you run the numbers you can't necessarily know that well it, i given the the rough estimate that i've heard of like 1.5 trillion for ubi um as far as the impact that the Medicare for all would have on the health insurance industry and what that would do to costs. I'm, I haven't, I don't have good numbers for that, but um, you're right. Yeah. The, the costs could be impossible and somehow the situation we have now could be better than that. So I, I find that unlikely, but it, that could, that could well be the case. You're right. Okay. You, sorry. Did oh, you no, with you? It's fine. Yeah. Human capitalism. Uh, yeah. What is that? Cause I don't, the term doesn't seem to mean anything to me on its face. Yang says our current emphasis on corporate profits isn't working for the majority of Americans. Uh, especially with the development of automation and AI looming. So we need to move to a new form of capitalism, human capitalism, that's geared towards maximizing human well-being and fulfillment. Oh, okay. So this is basically, uh, he wants to fight the Malachian tendencies, Malachian, of corporations to value money over people. Uh, A couple of examples of that would be like an airline refusing to honor your ticket because they can get more money from a customer who purchases last minute. Or a pharmaceutical company charging extortionary rates for life-saving drugs. He wants to switch the measure of the economy from the GDP and the stock market to measures ensuring human thriving. Um, Examples of some measures would be median income and standard of living, health-adjusted life expectancy, mental health, childhood success rates, social and economic mobility, absence of substance abuse, etc. Suicide rates, too. Um, oh, was that on there too? I, well, if it wasn't, it, it could be. It, it should um, be if it's not. Yeah, the, I think that was like maybe tied in with the mental health. Yeah, probably. So, like, I remember the thing about GDP is that, like, if we have a trillionaire owning every car in the country, um, our GDP will be great as a country, right? Mm-hmm. Even if we have a bunch of people unemployed and a lot of people killing themselves because they can't afford to eat, so uh, GDP will soon become an obsolete measure of like the success metric of a country. So yeah, it's yeah. the whole like what gets measured gets managed, right? right. Um. He also wants to rein in corporate excesses by appointing regulators, paying them competitive wages so they stay in that role, but then prohibiting them from going into the private industry afterward, because regulators need to be focused on making the right decisions rather than just getting more money. He had an interesting comment that uh, Congress and the president should be paid a lot more, but also prohibited from moving into lobbying uh, afterwards mm-hmm. or, or, you know, working for the industries that they regulated and passed laws for or against. And I thought that was an interesting premise. I didn't think about it very much. And I'm sure if I spent a few hours, I could come up with things to say on it. But on its face, I was like, that sounds reasonable. Yeah. On its face, it sounds really sensible. Um, It just keeps you from working in your own self-interest rather than the interest of the people that you're, you're representing. Yeah. Which is supposed to be your job. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the things that, Okay, so there's so many things to dislike about Trump, but one of the things that really gets me is that he seems to be using this mainly as a way to enrich and promote himself. 
Yeah, I mean, put that on the list, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's they. We could go on about it. Yeah. But, right. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. no you're right. It's, I and just no, no. Leave out. that in. It's just it's 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 one of those things that like the reason I get quiet and just kind of like yeah, because it's like yeah, if that were the only thing, that right. would be great, right? Yeah. And it's like so you know where do we? I mean, he takes three million dollar trips every week to his to his private golf course, and like he he makes no compunctions about hiding the the profits right and you know sure he gave up all his businesses <laughs> but he gave them all to his family and like to the trump what brand not you know they made they made jimmy carter sell his peanut farm right <laughs> yeah oh like because because he's gonna be a biased president if he if he you know he'd, he'd be biased towards peanut farmers if, hmm. if he had an, if he had a stake in the industry <laughs> which is which is ridiculous and maybe well, okay, so let me rephrase that it's ridiculous to to enforce it with jimmy carter and his peanut farm and not do it with trump and and oh, all of his okay, yeah okay. so like yeah. that it the the idea of like yeah you can't have a private stake and stuff that you'll be managing as president that makes sense mm-hmm. um but but to to say that that jimmy carter's uh the risk that he that he would ruin the country by incentivizing or by benefiting himself as a peanut farmer um and that trump doesn't run the risk of doing that uh is madness yes sorry uh, human-centric Human, cap- um, human capitalism. Yeah, there was one more thing. The government should issue a new currency called the digital social credit. Oh, this thing. Yeah, this was interesting. Uh, this is a, a currency that it can be converted into dollars and is used to reward people and organizations who drive social value. Converted into dollars. The best I heard when I heard him talking about it with someone, I don't remember who, was that like maybe businesses would honor it. You could get uh, use it for credits or something. Did, has he said that he can like literally convert it into dollar currency directly? That's what he says. Huh, interesting. And okay. uh, he says this new currency would allow people to measure the amount of good that they've done, and it would incentivize organizations to target human-centric goals rather than increasing profits. That sounds really confusing. Does that mean like an influencer like Jenna Marbles or PewDiePie would have all the social capital that they could turn in for like Amazon reward points? From... The example that I heard given, it was something like if uh, an old grandma is in her house and she needs some help with putting up shelves or something, right? And uh, her kids are busy or they live far away, they can't do it. But the guy down the street, he's collecting his $1,000 a month. He's not really doing much of anything, just sort of helping people out now and there. Here's the grandma needs some help. So he comes over, spends an hour, puts up her shelves, and then gets some social credits for it. So he, he just, he takes a Instagram photo of himself putting up shelves at his neighbor's house and like gets... I don't the, know. Because I mean... It's that, not as far as I could... That's the, that's the part that sounds weird is I have no idea how you would track that and how that would yeah. be not just regulated, but even measured. I um, like the idea of like getting, incentivizing people to like help their their neighbors and help other people that need help with their spare time. But I don't, I don't know much about this aside from the few things I've heard. Yeah, my impression was more that it was organizations oh okay they were looking at you know those targets of uh increasing the standard of living and mental health issues so i think it's rewarding people who are actually targeting the goals that we want to see targeted uh although yeah i don't know i'm I'm not sure if where did you get the example of the uh grandma i think he that was the freakonomics podcast interview but then maybe i'm understanding this idea wrong i mean the organization thing makes a lot of sense but when you put it that way if you're giving an organization social credits and then allowing them to change those into money, why not just give organizations money like we sort of already do? Well, because they'd have to do something good to earn it. Yeah, in this case. but I mean, we give like homeless shelters tax money. 
Yeah, but we don't give Amazon bonus money just for being a big company. But if they happened built homeless shelters, we might give them extra extra points for it or something, right? Or we could give them money. Yeah, or money. But <laughs> um, I think it's converted into dollars, so it is basically money. But but the thing is that in this case, that I have to actually do something to earn that, right? Yes, but I mean that's the case either way. We could be like, hey, any organization wants to build homeless shelters, here's a thousand dollars, or here's a thousand social credits that you can turn into dollars. I see. We already do one of those. I guess maybe if it would be like maybe a bonus tax break or something. I'm not really sure. The part I think we don't understand this policy. I definitely well. don't. Yeah, we should I, read more about it. I remember him saying something too about you know there there's there should be some metric to at least say that it matters. Like how much how much social value does it add to the world to like stay at home and raise your kids? Right, right. And it's like actually a lot. Yeah. Um. It not not just because it's hard work and it is, but the fact that you're you're raising people who will eventually join the job, you know, join the workforce and uh, add to the add to the economy and stuff. So like, there's an actual dollar amount that you're generating for the for the country when you stay at home and raise kids. Um, that is that is a very labor intensive job. Yeah, and like so, like don't get me wrong, it's it's not just labor intensive. It is. It's crazy. Um, I'm just but, trying to figure out how we could automate raising <laughs> kids to realize <laughs> massive gains. <laughs> Uh, matrix style pods yeah perfect and when they turn 18 pull them out and be like the real world is exactly like what you've been exposed to we didn't change anything at all but you were in the pod where it was a lot cheaper and faster to raise you than having a individual mother for every two to three kids welcome to the real world jackass (laughs) (laughs) but uh I think it's it's not just that it's it's hard work, but I think that the point that he he made on the Rogan podcast, and I, I'm equating that because I heard it most recently, but it, he might have made some of the same points on Sam Harris's podcast, was that this again being the business oriented guy that he is, which I think is make one of the things that makes him appealing. It doesn't make him just like this bleeding heart, like isn't that hard? Because it is. But he's like, no, look, it actually is like producing a ton of value for the country, and this is the kind of thing that when you pay for it, it costs an arm and a leg because it's 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 very hard and very, produces a lot of value. So why isn't it like valued at all when people sacrifice their lives to do it for free? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's an, I think, a, not just a reflection the of the difficulty is, of the task. It is valued. It's not like those people starve to death. It's just that the costs are passed on to the other people in their household rather than an employer or the government. Right, yeah. But wouldn't it be cool if you could raise kids and not like be, you know, again, it's like that's how people stay in bad relationships, right? Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, don't get me wrong. It would be really cool if you could raise kids for free. It's just like it's just like being hamstrung by your employer for health insurance, right? And it's like now you're hamstrung by your abusive spouse because they pay the bills and you don't want your kids to die. So, yeah. or like even in a less less extreme example, there's kind of the two parent trap where you basically need both parents to work in order to afford a house and everything, yeah. and then uh, you have to outsource the care of your children to a nanny or babysitter, which like both of you are working in order to afford. Whereas if there was some kind of digital social currency for having someone that, you know, could stay home and take care of their kid, I feel like that would be a, a shift in the right direction. It'd be pretty cool. I don't know much else to add to that. I want to learn more about this digital social currency part of his stuff, but I didn't read much about that yet. So, Yeah, I've, I've read a bit about it and I'm a bit confused by how it is going to work. I, yeah, I want to dig more into it as well. He is polling high enough to enter the debates. So yeah. people asking these questions, we can see his answers. And uh, one of the major things that, that drives whether you can get into a debate or not is how many donors you have at under $200. Right. I have given him $1. Um, and maybe I'll give him more. I don't know. But I gave him $1 <laughs> so that I my 
name is added to that list. That's what it was. It wasn't poll numbers. The it was the donor minimum donor number. So he has reached that threshold. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, for a buck, you can you can keep you can keep him on these. Uh, I don't know how lead metrics work, but I, I do like the idea. Eh, I'm I'm not a pol- I don't I don't know enough about this. I'm not a political scientist, but th- it makes sense that there should be some barrier to where like you know if I ran for president. It should be fair that no one take me seriously until like I get some actual support. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. And I like that it's a minimum number of donors and not a minimum dollar amount. Right. That that sounds like that that was something that we, <laughs> we saw we first saw the pro- trouble of right away. And that, that, I'm glad that's not a thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah, Andrew Yang. He is one of us, and I like him. I like him too. Um. I think that I like that he's establishing measures of human flourishing rather than the focus on finances. That's my favorite thing. Mm. And I, he's pushing the correct policies, uh, such as UBI and the Medicare, uh, despite the fact that it's going to be incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. I appreciate that, you know, yeah, that he's shifting the Overton window towards we need to talk about these things, even if he doesn't get elected, which I hope he does. But I'm just really happy to see politicians that are insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It is really cool. Yeah, like you said, whether or not he gets elected, like he's now at the point where he'll be on TV talking about these things to the country. Mm-hmm. And so this will be in the public awareness. Hopefully. Unfortunately, if he doesn't get elected and we're you know, talking about this again in 2024, right. um, it, by then we're going to be coming up on way too late. But um, at least the conversations will be started. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fingers crossed. Yeah, We'll see how that goes. At the very least, he can get on TV in 2031 and say, I told you so, losers. <laughs> the more people that we can push this this info and idea into the better and he is doing that he's like hey ubi is a thing automation is coming this is a good way to head it off even if i'm not elected know about this idea you guys are all going to be coming back to it soon yeah it's great yeah and other politicians are gonna have to respond to it yeah exactly all right let's go on to our less wrong posts sure but before i forget yes i've got two uh side topics to indulge both about uh cinema and television we haven't seen endgame yet so you can't talk about it that's fine okay so i'm gonna i two one's really fast uh the netflix show i've been talking about the last few episodes the santa clarita diet yeah isn't being picked up for season four i heard about that and i immediately thought about you because i was like steven loves this show and i'm pretty sure it's popular apparently mm-hmm. it's not popular enough to pick up for season four but right. it was hilarious i loved it and that's a bummer that it won't be on because it was i'm sorry yeah i mean i mean i wasn't i'm, I'm not i wasn't dying in love with it but it, it was yeah. great and it would have yeah. been more fun if it went on but so, Endgame did come out, Okay. and I'm, I won't talk about it. I've heard it's pretty darn good. I, it was pretty darn good. That's I my, hope that's to my, see it really soon. That's my summary. I won't talk about it here, okay. because I talked about it for two hours on the Doof, Doofcast. <gasps> Congrats, dog! <laughs> it was great, yeah. Awesome! Um, it, that came out uh, yesterday, so uh, Friday the 3rd? Today the 4th? Today is the 4th, yeah. Yeah, so Friday the 3rd. Um, is when that episode came out? Yep. Cool. So it's out. You can guys go check it out, the wonderful doofmedia.com. I saw uh, that it was out, and I did not listen to it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> the first 19 minutes is spoiler-free. Okay. So if anyone... Does it still have Stevens in it? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, but I guess, quick disclaimer, my... Well, two of them. One, I was recording on my computer's microphone because my headset that I was using has great ear part, but bad mic part for recording. It's great for phone calls. Mm-hmm. So that's a drag. Um, and also, I was way chattier than... I think I think I took up more than a third of the airtime. Mainly, sorry, Matt. I cut you. I like I responded to a lot of Scott's prompts and didn't give Matt a chance to, uh, and I felt bad like halfway through, and I just kind of kept doing it. So um, <laughs> felt bad, but not bad enough to stop. But bad enough to apologize. Yes. So, <laughs> it was great, and when we all when I drag you guys to Endgame, we can all talk about it, and then you guys can listen to the whole episode. So Fuck yeah. All right. Cool. 
Yeah, um, please drag me to Endgame. Yes. I want to see it. I never have been to a movie by myself. I don't watch TV by myself. It's just easy to be like, uh, deprioritize this thing. And it's easy to do if somebody else is there to be excited about it. I'm all over it. I have no trouble being excited enough to get you there. Yeah. I um, accidentally saw a uh, preview for Joker, and now I actually want to see it. Oh, I, really? So, like, I might actually go to see more than one movie this year. I'm actually curious. <laughs> well, you're going to see more than one movie because you're going to see Endgame, and I dragged you to Captain Marvel already. So. Oh, that's true. I already yeah. forgot about Captain Marvel. That's fair. You didn't like it. <laughs> and yeah. um, So I might see more than two movies this year. That's right. Cool. I saw the trailer for Joker. I know this isn't a movie podcast, but... I it looks great. Oh, it looks interesting because Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor, and it yeah. like it'll be interesting to see this guy's backstory. But I guess I never really cared about the Joker's backstory. Part yeah. of his part of my appeal to him, like in Dark Knight, was that you don't know the backstory, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And that it's like the fact that he keeps giving this made up story about how he got his scars. Like that's perfect because he his he's not a person with a history. He's just this. He's like a chaotic element. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, he's a force of, of chaos. I would not consider whatever backstory they come up with in Joker to be canon anyway. I'd be like, this is one apocryphal story of how the Joker came to be. Cool. Uh, yeah. The legend of the Joker. Yes, exactly. <laughs> one fun. among many. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. I kind of think of him like Jack Slash from Worm. <laughs> in actually a lot of ways like i think trump or excuse me i think i think <laughs> that, that's important because there's a, there's a power classification called trump that's uh-huh. not really understood but it like it interacts with other people's powers okay and jack slash has that his 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 overt power is fairly mundane but um i feel like joker has a trump classification yeah because like he, his 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 weird plans just keep working and he never gets hurt and it's just yeah so um he's he's the he's the the trump powered person in the dce dcu so cool okay we have other stuff to talk about that's more in line with the show. Well, more in line with the spirit of the show. We talk about too much of this for it not to be in line with the show anyway. So. That's true. That said, if you don't listen to the Doof Media episode until uh, you've seen the show or seen seen Endgame, right. um, it or at least d- listen to the spoiler free. Yeah, part. listen to the spoiler free part. Fine, but I, and I also give this admonition in the episode. But really, if you don't know what happens in the movie yet, don't don't spoil it for yourself. It's so much fun, and it's and they the trailers did a good job about not showing like the core plot elements unlike every other fucking trailer out there so i avoided all the trailers just yeah, in I case i haven't seen any either i watched one after i saw the movie okay don't get me wrong <laughs> i i managed to get into my seat without having seen the poster for the movie nice. so um yeah it wasn't Did as hard they, like walk you blindfolded through the theater i just looked down at the ground <laughs> i averted my gaze and if i saw the poster i just didn't focus on it it was fun this time it was more fun than it was like this was more fun this year than it was last year where i was like crazy on guard about it right this year i let let my technology do a lot of the work for me i put on reddit filters i put on filters on youtube ads that like they wouldn't even like recommend uh videos of the word avengers or captain america in the title you know what i think would be a great facebook feature to be able to tag your posts with this is a spoiler for this movie or this episode or whatever and then people can opt out of seeing those th- posts and once they've seen the episode you know toggle a switch where now they see the post so you can have conversations with people here's the thing I have been forced to only talk about like Game of Thrones and move and Avengers movies with people in real life face to face because if I post it on Facebook someone could see it. Yeah, Facebook has the awkward thing where you can put a whole bunch of periods to drop your text behind the scene more. Yeah. But um it, it's awkward and clunky. Uh, I think I forget which platform has this maybe Discord. Tumblr has that or Tumblr. has that feature too. Oh, that, that ability where like, you'll just see like black boxes. Like you, you write the word like, spoilers, you know, click oh, to Reddit reveal, and you just yeah. yeah, Reddit yeah. Like Facebook could easily implement something like that, and I think it would resolve a lot of disputes with friends. It's like after <laughs> I finally saw the uh, season three or episode three of uh, Game of Thrones this season, 
I wanted to talk about it with people, but like everyone had already talked about it that was going to, and ev- on Facebook rather, and everyone who didn't wasn't doing the spoiler posting, right? I was like, I would have loved right now to be able to toggle that switch and have all those C- uh, episode three posts pop up so I could go through them and talk about them. Instead, I was forced to actually see people in the real world. And uh, I, I hate that. Oh, man. Actually, I, I kind of like that, but I just liked having to wait. And I, was I wanted the instant <laughs> gratification. We could record the show remotely, but we don't because it's fun seeing people. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we have other yes. Bayesian conspiracy things. Uh, the less wrong post. First one was priors as, ma- as mathematical objects. And I pulled out nothing in this post because I didn't understand it. <laughs> Great. I was just going to be like, all right, someone explain this to me. Oh, okay. Did, did any of us understand this post? The important thing that he's getting at and like... This is one of his, I think, least well-communicated posts. And it's not just him flexing how well like he understands all this stuff. It's, I don't know. I mean, and there's, there's I think, maybe necessary math for the point that he's making. But the, uh, my understanding is that the point that he's making is that, like, a prior probability isn't just, like, your initial guess based on nothing. It's your, uh, running back to the urn example. Um, yeah, there were three urns, uh, or there were three cases, rather. One where the urn contains five red balls and five white balls. The second one would be a random number generator is deciding which balls are going to be red or white at a certain probability. And then um, case three was a monkey throwing balls into the urn at random. Right. So if, if you hand me an urn and ask me before I draw a ball out what I think the color will be with what probability without telling me which urn it is, I I could, I guess I would say roughly 50% just because I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But that's not really a prior. That's like a complete just guess, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then if he told me which urn it was, then I could say, okay, I'm guessing it's this. Um, and then he, you know, he says, I could write a quick, a quick Python program that gives me the actual estimates. Um, yeah, well, the, the first one had five red and five white. So he was saying that if the, in the like first round of guessing, if you asked me uh, to guess whether the ball that gets pulled out is going to be red or white, regardless of any of those cases, because they're all about 50-50, you would say 50%. Then when you start pulling balls out, then you have to update each time. Because if it were case one, for example, every red ball that gets drawn makes it less likely that the future balls will be red. Because there's now fewer red balls left in the urn, and there's only five red and five white. And the next one is Laplace's Law of Succession, which you can check out in Wikipedia. And then case three is Return Point Five, because the monkey threw balls in at random, so they're always going to be random pulling out red balls. So he goes through this long explanation of why if you had like a true probability estimate uh prior of the background it would it would encompass all like 10 to the 24 possibilities of the way the balls could be ordered in the urn right the way that you pull them out mm-hmm. like what are the odds of you pulling out four red ones in a row um well that's going to be concentrated in this part of your gigantic grid right but like with every other post of his i feel like there was a point and i learned something and in this one i wasn't sure what i was supposed to learn i, I still don't know what it means for a prior to be a mathematical object or or what he was getting at with this particular block of text. Yeah, I, I'm i okay calling this one a wash. There's a good conversation in the comments where a lot of people are just like, can you clarify this? You know, I feel like you're ruining the, the word prior already has a good definition. Why are you throwing that away? Because it's too confusing for this. And um, I would say check out the comments and just say this one was weird. And we don't have to talk about it for that long. So, okay. I mean, I'm okay with that. Do you have anything you want to add, Jess? no. That's fair. All right. So <laughs> what, what is the intuitive understanding of a prior? Like, because we, we, we can talk about that for a minute. Uh, a prior is, what I always thought, is uh, the the belief you already come in having. 
or even the belief that you have after some updating, but like it's your new prior right, before right, you get right. some new information, right? Right. So, Every time there's a test, you now have a posterior, which becomes your new prior for any further tests. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of these, I'm sure it's his writing that I'm, because that's both the Bayesian stuff I read, isn't like, you know, the results of like a, a diabetes or a breast cancer test or something. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the odds that I think I have diabetes right now? Mm-hmm. Like, none. Base, uh, very low. Like, uh, then if you tell me, all right, well, the base rate of diabetes is one in 50,000 or something. All right, well, I guess that, those are my odds then. Mm-hmm. Then you give me a test and it comes back positive. I'm like, all right, well, what's the odds of a, of a false positive right. times that by the, like the, by the, um, other factors like, am I in the demographics that typically have diabetes or something? And it's like you, you, you update based on those numbers, mm-hmm. but like your prior to start out is just like this kind of fuzzy, I don't know. And so it's in the hypothesis testing chapter of methods of rationality where Harry's running through his head thinking about, okay, well, we'll call the odds of any wizard surviving their death, you know, like one in a million. And, you know, att- after attempting a resurrection ritual, one in 10,000 or something, but he's just like making these numbers up. Mm-hmm. But that's because he has nothing to work with. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's setting high priors or like, I guess, low numbers, but high, uh, these, these estimates just to like have some numbers to, to envelope, you know, get an estimate on whether or not Voldemort's alive. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the kind of thing you can do, but without without information, you're just you're just completely spitballing, and that's completely acknowledged in the chapter too. So, yeah, but at least it gives you a way to start thinking about the problem, right? Because if you say I have no idea, therefore I can I can't think about it, I can't even approach it. That's useless. Right. I've so, heard someone say that anything worth thinking about is worth thinking about with made up numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if when when you don't have real numbers available, yes, yes, I like it. <laughs> Perfect. All right, that's the point of this post. Okay then. <laughs> So going on to one which I found much more interesting. Uh, lotteries, a waste of hope. Uh, a waste? A waste of hope. But I could win. Uh, Eliezer comes down firmly anti-lottery on this, and uh, I am with him, maybe because that's just how I was raised, so uh, I already got the emotional feeling that they're awful. But Eliezer says some lottery advocates have tried to defend lottery ticket buying as a rational purchase of fantasy, paying a dollar for a day's worth of pleasant anticipation, imagining yourself a millionaire. So this is the uh, Powerball lottery thing, right? Not your average, like, so a, a dollar scratcher, I think you have like a one in four chance of winning your money back. Which still you're exchanging money for like... Yeah, percent <laughs> chance of nothing, yeah. but those are way better odds. Mm-hmm. And I won, I won $300 in a scratcher once, so for all my... Did you really? All my lottery investments, I'm ahead, so I, I'm done okay, buying okay. lottery tickets because I've already, I've already won the lottery and then I've come out on top, so... Yeah. Yeah, if you have one in four chance of getting your money back, then basically every time you buy one, you're spending seventy five cents. Yeah. Okay. Um, just just for the heck of it. But what's what's fun is I was making like nine bucks an hour at the job at a job that sold lottery tickets. I'd buy a couple a night because I was crazy bored and I needed the. Maybe he just doesn't understand what it's like to be desperately poor and bored. But oh, like, oh yeah. Um, well, I was, no, I, I and like then there's, there's oh maybe he does, but like they're, I'm I'm just staring at him all the time and I'm like all right, well fuck it. And yeah, then I went 30 bucks. I was like, all right, cool. I'm not buying anymore. That's it. I won. <laughs> I I mean, I've heard people say lotteries are attacks on people who are bad at math, but I've always understood the math of lottery, of the lottery. And the, the few times I was actually really, really tempted to play the lottery. It's not because I suddenly had like some kind of math stupidity come over me. It's because I was desperate. I was like, I don't know what else I can do. At least this is something. Yeah. So it's it's a tax on the desperate, which is, again, taking advantage of the most vulnerable. I uh, have been to casinos before and played slot machines. It was kind of, um, it's kind of fun going to the casino. It's a neat environment. There's, like, good restaurants and bars and, like, like entertainment there. And if you go with friends, it can be kind of fun. So and it's if kind you're of gambling, like, they bring you free drinks. Yeah, well, I, I was kind of, um, I'm, I'm 
not if you're playing slots. Really? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I don't play slots, so I'm not sure. But yeah. yeah, if you're playing cards, they do. So it kind of like was, a, I'm using this money to purchase this experience to like socialize with friends, be in this wacky environment where like they made this indoor representation of like the Taj Mahal or whatever the heck. Mm. Um, still not like, I felt very uncomfortable there too, though. It was something that I would do occasionally and be like, haha, that was a thing. But uh, also casinos, yeah, are places where like, you see some really desperate people that go there and just get addicted to pulling the slot machine lever. I've seen those people and that's weird. They'll come in and they clearly like live on that stool and there are like regulars. Yeah. If they live in town, they'll come in every day and spend, you know, whatever, a few bucks or something. Yeah. I forget Uh, the name of it, but it's like the pigeon experiment where they have the, uh, if you pull the lever and it regularly gives a pellet, then they'll just pull it when they're hungry. But if they randomize how many pellets they'll get, and then they'll just, then yeah, they get addicted to it. They, they, they also all develop the weird superstitions. The uh-huh. pigeons, too. Um, they'll think, like, well, last time I got a pellet, I turned, like, in two left circles or two counterclockwise circles. So I'll do oh, that every right. time. Right, right. And you can train pigeons to do really weird shit by giving them pellets at a controlled thing or at random. They'll develop their own weird things. Um, yeah, that's my thought with, with casinos is, like, it's a, it's a weird place, like, you know, to go have an expensive time if that's what you feel like doing. Um, I think your odds with cards are typically better than with slots. Well, they definitely are than with slots if you know what you're doing. You can do penny uh, slots. You can do penny slots, but uh, but I usually just go there. Thinking, I would spend like twenty bucks. Yeah, and it's it's a way too to just go in and like where else can you smoke indoors and like there's Ugh. all this. But like it, another reason not to not, go to a casino. But but like it, I I bought some cigars last time I was at a, at a casino that you could smoke at just because just the I felt like I was breaking the rules. So <laughs> right. it was just like this is so this is so eccentric and weird. Yeah. Um, so it's it's that sort of experience. Yeah, I enjoy having weird experiences, and I feel like it was worth twenty bucks. Yeah, but we're not talking about casinos. We're talking about the lottery. That's yeah. right. Well, that that's what I'm having trouble understanding why. I, lottery tickets kind of generate that same feeling I, I i guess it's a very like muted version of that feeling of the pulling the lever it's like they said like the commenters said or a commenter said anyway some people are just paying for a fantasy that they enjoy right and he, t- he goes on that not in the next post but yeah i think what if jess i'm understanding your your bringing up casinos is like because this has none of the fun of a casino this is none of yeah, the experience you buy it you go home and you lose and you do that every day <laughs> yeah so that is weird um before we move on really quick is there a number where if the lottery was at a trillion dollars where you'd buy tickets i actually there has to be right there is yes and i have done it for a few times when the powerball just went to the point where it was a net positive i did too like, oh, and fine i i bought two it would have been like 10 years ago i bought a couple of tickets because it was like 480 million dollars or something or, or and it was like I, it was some ridiculous number and i was like all right whatever the number is that's high enough for me to spend two dollars and then i bought them and i didn't know how to check who want like what the numbers were <laughs> right so i i never checked and so <laughs> it probably I, wasn't you <laughs> it probably wasn't me I, I can sleep i can sleep soundly knowing that i didn't i wouldn't have won well because if there's ever a jackpot winner and no one claims it for a few days it starts being on the news they're like somebody has won 200 billion dollars but hasn't claimed it yet who could this mystery person be yeah it was funny though yeah. <laughs> all right so back back to our actual show yeah so um he, Eliezer has a problem with this saying that it's buying a fantasy because he says you're occupying your valuable brain with a fantasy whose real probability is nearly zero which makes the lottery another kind of sink, a sink of emotional energy. It encourages people to invest their dreams, their hopes for a better future, into an infinitesimal probability. If not for, lot- if not for the lottery, maybe they would fantasize about going to technical school, or opening their own business, or getting a promotion at work. For a dollar a day. Things that they might be <laughs> able to actually do, hopes that would make them want to become stronger. 
Their dreaming brains might, in the 20th visualization of the pleasant fantasy, notice a way to really do it. Isn't that what dreams and brains are for? That's good writing. Yeah. But how can you compare that to the artificial sweetened flavor of limitless wealth? Yeah, and this is the post where he says the human brain can't devalue the emotional force of a pleasant anticipation by a factor of 0.00001, whatever it is. He doesn't actually come out and say it's so low that the activation, it should activate less than one neuron in your brain to be equivalent. (laughs) Right. Which I I know I mentioned that a few episodes back about uh, thinking about God. Uh, and I swear I got that from the lottery post, but he doesn't say it in here. Maybe he says it in a different one, or yeah, maybe, maybe the next one. Maybe a commenter said it. I know um, I didn't come up with that myself. Yeah, well, that sounds really familiar. I'm going to give you 25% chance that that's an original Ineos that you. No, just... no, it's. <laughs> I, I heard that somewhere. Yeah, I thought when you when you said that, I thought it was from this post too. Yeah. So maybe yeah, maybe, I didn't read the comments though. Um, but yeah, basically it's. Uh, all right, so. Do we have much else to add? Because I've got a good leaning question into the next one. Uh, no, go for your question. I mean, so for a dollar a day, because you can't go to technical school for a dollar a day, no. you know, but you can buy a lottery ticket. So what else can I do to give me the same, like if, if hope makes me a little less miserable every day, what else can I buy with a buck that would, that would give me anything of value? I mean, anything that's worth a buck, really. Well, let me, I guess, like if I already, you know, okay, well... The next post is called an improved lottery. Oh, oh, you yeah. could buy this improved lottery ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you were trying to do. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't catch that layup. I I yeah. I Is I, that I, the correct sports term? Catch the layup? Uh, I think the layup's sure. supposed to go in the basket. <laughs> I know the layup is a two person thing, then you've got it? to help each other out. It's something like that where like one person throws and the other person dunks it or some shit. Oh maybe it is. I think you're right. You I don't lay know them sports, up. Man. Yeah. <laughs> God, we're such nerds. <laughs> That said, basketball is one of my favorite sports to watch. It's the one that's actually got some exciting stuff going on almost all the time. And you can see the the play object, the ball. Like, yeah. hockey's fun. They're moving a lot, but I often lose sight of the puck. Right. Um, that said, speaking of casinos, my favorite thing to watch, and I've mentioned this before, but there's a bar right next to... Well, I didn't mention this part. There's a bar right next to my house that we kind of just discovered. Um, and once in a while, they have cards up on the TV. And I love watching high-stakes poker. <laughs> if, if there was a, a service that I could... I'm, there maybe is, so I shouldn't say anything because I'll probably get it. Um, so I'll point me to it. But if like it was ten bucks a month that I could have the the the, uh, oh the high stakes poker channel and nothing else, yeah. I'd probably have that because I don't want to pay for a cable package just to ha- just to watch this once in a while. But it's really fun, and I can't find a good website. Just watch it. So. Really, oh. they don't have it on like YouTube. Or? The, I I found some YouTubes, but the ones that I could find that were like I like to just have it on the background for like a few hours, mm-hmm. and the only ones I could find like that was some asshole like talking like over talking over the. Sh- <laughs> like the thing. I could leave it on a mute like they do in the bars. It's like fine. the uh, video game reviews. Hey, guys. Yeah. Well, it's it was, me, uh, Evan, and today I'm going to talk. Oh, my God. Stop. It was like he was like doing a podcast talking about these people, but it was like, it was, and it, that was my one experience watching a four-hour video. But anyway, cards is fun to watch if you're if you're me. I don't know why. <laughs> okay. that's, as, that's as into sports as I get. <laughs> okay. Well, that's like a cerebral sport. You're yeah. into the sports where you don't actually move your body. That's right. The less mo- <laughs> The less motion, the better. You move your hands a bit. Chess, yeah, yeah. you know, chess is right up there. Right. But, you don't even need a body to play chess nowadays. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there is chess boxing. 
What? Uh, oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, uh, go Is to this you- like Wizard's Chess? No, go to YouTube, type in chess boxing. They, they play chess, they get up and hit each other, and they go back to playing chess. Yeah, three minutes of chess uh, and three <laughs> minutes of boxing. Because the boxing round is three minutes. It's so, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And the winner is whoever checkmates the other person or knocks the other person out. Which is the best. <laughs> okay, wait, can, I, can I also do a sports tangent? Yeah. Sure. Um, one of my coworkers is trying to start a league for extreme taser ball. Extreme Ooh. taser ball? Which I looked up, and yeah, it's a sport that involves this ridiculously large ball. It looks like a big beach ball or something, and tasers. Do you tase oh. each other? You tase each other. Oh my god. <laughs> that sounds like a good time, kind of. <laughs> I would try it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of scared, but I'm also tempted to try it, just so I could tell people what sport I play, and they can give me horrified looks. Don't those things hook into your skin? What, I don't taser? Know. No, you're thinking... um whatever stun guns uh-huh. those those shoot out little cords that you pull the trigger and electrocutes you tasers just have the arc of electricity that you can hit somebody with you want to know something fun that i believe i learned from um reading rationalist fiction hmm. what it's the other way around stun guns are the things you hold in your hand that you zap someone with personally and the things uh uh, uh that you that you shoot at people are called tasers even though you don't like the stun gun is a personal weapon, right? It's a melee weapon. I guess it doesn't got, it shoot got the out, name but first. it's called a stun gun. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, I got it backwards because it makes more sense the other way, but uh, I guess history had the other way. That's hilarious. Yeah. And I think that's true because I, I have a stun gun that I lost the charger for in like 2009, so it was 20 bucks, but I want to buy another one because what's fun about them, then we'll finish the, the <laughs> stuff. What's not fun about them, really? <laughs> what's fun is they're super loud. Yeah, that and noise <laughs> is like just frightening. So even if the person isn't like what am i saying the noise itself is a deterrent mm. it's it's like you know it's crazy crackling loud electricity yeah. that is uncomfortably loud from across the house mm-hmm. so you, you pull this thing out and, and there you don't have to hit them to freak them out so. yeah yeah like I, I i've never been hit by a stun gun but i imagine that i'm more scared of the sound than i actually would be by the effect of being hit by it you say like, that just so you're laying down your own piss but yeah uh, okay oh really <laughs> it depends how hard and where they get you but oh, yeah okay okay if you get in the abdomen it'll flex everything and you'll fall over so oh all right yeah. well never mind then i don't know if the, i don't know if the pee yourself rate is at 100 percent, but it's <laughs> it's not at zero percent <laughs> <laughs> all right what were we talking about the new improved lottery with no tasers. With no tasers. So the new improved lottery ticket also only costs $1, but it pays out at random once every five years on average at a random time. You don't know exactly when it's going to pay out. Just sometime in the next five years, it pays out. That adds to the hope factor. That adds to the hope factor. And more importantly, it it lets you fantasize about it all the time as opposed to just these predetermined moments on certain evenings. Where you buy the ticket one time, so this is not quite Eliezer's exact words. He was more eloquent. But boss comes in, demands something annoying. Instead of getting to work, turn on your phone and you stare, hoping for that call. Because there is an epsilon chance that, at that exact moment, you, yes you, could be <laughs> awarded the grand prize. Even if it doesn't happen this minute, there's no need to disappoint. be disappointed. It could happen the next minute. And so you got that perpetual fantasy of like... I could win right now. Nope. Now. Nope. Now. Yeah, you'd have to tune in at six or whenever they draw the balls and yeah. check. Her. Yeah, so the hope lasts Just all day. At any moment, your phone could, could buzz. Also says, you could go even further. The new improved lottery could even show a constantly fluctuating probability distribution of the likelihood to win. So it's not always the same likelihood at every second. And they could have the likelihood of particular numbers being higher at certain times. 
So think of how much fun that would be. Right this minute, the chance to win occurring is nearly 10 times higher than usual. And look, the number 42 that I selected for the Mega Ball has nearly twice the usual chance of winning. You could feed it to display on people's cell phones so they could just flip open the cell phone and see their chance of winning, and they could stay glued to that screen all day. They would never need to dream about anything else. Which really puts into perspective kind of the whole they're selling a dream to people, right? Yeah, it's a very poignant way to, re- to rebuttal that point. Yeah, like this is a <laughs> fucked up horror world. <laughs> Where no one's th- dreaming about anything else in their lives except this tiny lottery chance. Um, I also, when I read this, uh, reread this, I kind of got the feeling that, holy shit, this is a lot like writing. Because when you write short stories, at least, uh, you write a short story and then you send it off to a paying market. And then you wait. You check your email every day. Maybe you check it two or three times a day because you never know when that email is going to come in saying, hey, guess what? Your story wasn't quite right for us. And, you know, there's that small chance that it'll say, your story is great. (laughs) We would like to publish it and let all our readers see how awesome of a writer you are. And if that doesn't work, then you take it and you go to the next magazine and maybe they will give you that. So a lot of of writer's life is that you're paying for a lottery ticket by writing a story. So with, you know, dozens of hours of labor... And then for months and months, you can live in that, you know, fantasy and eventually get rejected. But still, months of fantasy time. But do you have fun writing? There's, I do there's have fun the, writing. So, so there's yeah. some value to that, too. Yeah, 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 there is. Like, unless, like, so, like, unlike the casino, going to the gas station to buy a lottery ticket isn't, like, a fun experience, like, for a lot of people, right? Right. So, yeah. um, at least at least there's something else that you're getting out of it. And I also think this is kind of, like, the effect that makes Twitter as popular as it is. People could reply to you at any point. Or retweet your thing at any point. You never know when something might go viral. It just like this this random payout thing is is pretty huge. And yeah, we are seeing it take off. And this was before it's Twitter. It's fairly ubiquitous too. A lot of mobile games explicitly yeah. use that kind of psychology. And this I, post came out before Twitter, and yet that that, oh yeah, that yeah. functions built into the platform. Mm-hmm. And I realize that kind of a lot of life is like this. Like there's a lot of times where you don't know if what you're go- doing has is going to result in in what you want to happen, but you go and you do it anyway and you hope for the best. I mean, there's no way we're going to get rid of that. Yeah. But, but, but I, living I, your life on those yeah. hopes is... What if you have UBI and then you are writing and you're just releasing your works online for free because you are you have that income? Well, I mean, like, you know, you send and, a text message to somebody like, do you want to, do you want to go on a date? Mm-hmm. The waiting for a reply, that minute of hope. Like, you're not going to mm-hmm. get rid of every minute of, like, you know, that anticipating a hopeful response for, to, your, to your efforts, I don't right? think I would want to get rid of anticipating a hopeful response to your efforts. It's just the, uh, I think the thing that is bad about lotteries is that it's basically zero. Your chances of winning it is essentially zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I wasn't making that point that I think it's a bad thing. I was just saying that that level, that... We could do away with the bad parts, the bad ways to feed that thing, and there'll still be real parts of that left in your life, right? Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. But there's and there's a lot of life like that where you're like, I don't know if the harvest is going to be good or bad this year, but I'm going to go ahead and plant my crops anyway and hope for the best. And like a lot of life is just doing what you can and hoping things work out. And I kind of get the impression we're almost like built for this sort of world where you put in effort and you don't have a guaranteed return and got to hope for it instead. Yeah, we have, we have inner pigeons. There's, mm-hmm. um, we do for sure, but I, th- I think that like something like planting your crops uh, has a higher probability <laughs> of yeah getting some kind of return out of it than the zero 
yeah. essentially zero chance you have from the lottery. Same thing with oh, no, absolutely asking agree. someone on a date online. You know, maybe yeah. that's like a 50-50 chance that they'll say yes. No, and even sending a story in is like, you, you don't literally have like a basically zero chance of getting published. Right, yeah. No, I mean, the, the lottery is definitely the uh, the extreme stimulus. The, uh, the super stimulus? The super stimulus version of, yeah, taking things that we're naturally wired for and just going fucking wild with it to to take advantage of, of the human wiring. But yeah, and particularly like in the case of casinos or mobile games, to take advantage of people who have addictive personalities. Well, I think all of us have addictive personalities. Yeah, but some people manner. have it much worse than others. That's true, yeah. Yeah, many of us would get bored sitting at the slot machine pulling it out, you know, for four hours a day after work every day. Yeah. And most most of us, that sounds like hell. Mm. And yet they've got, you know, they've there's a number of factors, but probably one of them is they've got, they've got nothing better to do. So they sit there and just like sit there, keep hoping, you know? Yeah, it tends to target, like, vulnerable populations. Yeah. I tend to think this is one of the th- reasons that video games are popular, because they have a guaranteed reward. Mm-hmm. If you put in the effort, you get the thing. A- and there's there's none of this, like, oh, maybe I'll put in a ton of effort and never get anything out of it. And, I mean, that's less the case nowadays with the games that have the, the random reward thing put in. But for a lot of games before... Before the the more recent spate of of what do they call casino games even there's um, like a loot what's the word for it loot lottery yeah yeah, yeah. loot lottery like gotcha yeah yeah um it's like destiny like yes you, you, so you'd have to coordinate like a ninety minute raid with you know six or ten people to get a two percent job rate for the cool piece of loot yeah and tons, those tons games of fucking games are like suck that now. yeah yeah but at, at, there was a time where like. If you go out and you grind mobs for X hours, you get Y experience, which will eventually lead to you being better. Many games are still like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what makes them attractive is that like video games work that way and life doesn't. Yes. Like, you can exactly. go out and work hard all day and do whatever you can. And then and... your kid gets malaria and dies anyway. Right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the, the controllable aspect of that is, you know, nice as well. And save files. When, do we, when, do we, when are we going to get those for real life? Yeah. Eliezer ends with saying, if you believe that the lottery is a surface, it is clearly an enormously overpriced surface, charged to the poorest members of society, and it is your solemn duty as a citizen to demand the new improved lottery instead. <laughs> what I love is that like that's the closest he gets to saying, like, fuck you to the commenter who put that out there. <laughs> it's like, right, if you believe that, here's, here's the logical extension of your belief, and yeah. now you're clearly an asshole. <laughs> here's the horrorscape you want. That's right. We've only got like 10 minutes left, guys. We've got to thank this week's patron. We do got to do that. And then we've got at least time for maybe at least one feedback. All right, let's do one feedback. All right. So this week or this episode, I say week. I I think to save the confusion, we need to start doing this every week, but we'll see. Hmm. Maybe once we've all retired? Deal. Okay. Um, So (laughs) this episode, we're thanking Michael Ruschena. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, I we really appreciate it. I do the same mumbling every time, and right. now now I do the same apologizing for mumbling every time. But <laughs> you rock! Thanks, thanks, Michael. Pretty soon you can apologize for apologizing. That's right. Yeah, Michael, you're awesome. Everyone who listened, you're all awesome, and all of our supporters are awesome. But Michael, especially this week, today is your day to be appreciated. Heck yeah! Yay! Now you can play this to your friends so they can know how awesome you are, and that you help bring this podcast to them. So this came in from uh, Oren Millman on. Uh, Patreon. So uh, they'd said, please validate us, said Jess in the Reach episode. Just so you know, you're all really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Smiley more, face. I know. And on a more personal level, in the last days, I have quite, I've quit, wait. Quite. 
I've quite resolved. That's right. Perhaps he is British. Perhaps they are British. I to find a job in the clean meat industry. Yeah. yeah. I think that regularly listening to the podcast, as well as various audio stuff by Inyash, significantly strengthens my connection to the rationality in EA communities and helps internalize their ideas. Thus, you definitely deserve deserve some credit for my decision. So thank you. That's awesome. And I wrote back and said that means a lot, and I'd make sure to share it with you guys. And that's that's why I do the show. Like, thank you for telling us. We're not gonna. We're not gonna. You know. I don't want to be like the person that changes people's lives in big ways, but I do a, a force, <laughs> a force for good in, in that, you know, if somebody, my life was changed in many ways by like the smallest factors. I told somebody, the guy who got me into computer industry mm-hmm. that like, Hey, I did this because of the thing you recommended. He's like, Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And he was really made uncomfortable by that. Cause he kind of just had this offhand thing. And I right. was like, yeah, I have you to think for it. And he's like, that is an uncomfortable amount of responsibility. And I'm like, that's life, dude. Yeah. You're going to be you're touching people's lives left and right. And I had someone tell me that, uh, they put off marriage because of the episode that we did. Um, am I allowed to name that person? Okay. That okay. is correct. So yes. Yeah, so Jess, uh, mentioned that, uh, they put off, uh, marriage because of my marriage option. And I was like, Okay, I'm. It's it's a little scary to be like someone made that big of a decision because of something I said. What if it was the wrong decision? Now it's all my fault. No, it was the right decision, and you made a really excellent argument. Oh, thank you, thank you. But not good enough because you're coming to my wedding. So. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> but um, y- you know, it's it, it is kind of scary having people make decisions based on something you said because you don't want to be wrong, and then they'll hate you forever, or, or or you'll just feel guilty. But on the other hand, I mean, that's that's why we do this, right? So, yeah. Um, but I do want to say, we always thank the patron for making us feel appreciated and awesome. And it is true. They always do. Again, thank you for this week's patron and thank you to all our patrons. But, like, just talking back with us on the subreddit always warms my heart a little bit because I'm like, oh, people listen to this and they think about it. And sometimes they even have comments to tell us back, you know? So, feedback is also an appreciation of a sort. It, it makes me feel like I'm part of a community and that what I have been doing is valued in in a way that i mean money also does they, they both do it in their own different <laughs> ways <laughs> you, you you've said before that money is the unit of caring but so is yeah. time yeah yeah and exactly. yeah the I, I mean i most of my dialogue with uh post podcast stuff is people of real life who message me who listen to the show mm-hmm. and that's valuable to me it's interesting that you know it's that's the point of a podcast mm-hmm. you know unless it's like a story that you're telling or whatever but that's the point of this podcast is conversational things and yeah, right. if you have conversations with us or with, with each other or with people in your lives that's that's really great yeah exactly. it's kind of what i was thinking about when you're talking about uh publishing stories and i just like the idea of like yeah if we had ubi then people could just publish stories and put them online for free and then more people could read them mm-hmm. and then it would be a much better experience for you as the author because people would be reading them and commenting and it would be out there yeah okay yeah <laughs> we are unfortunately out of time so we're going to have to wrap this up and and get back to uh the other feedbacks later on sounds good cool because we do have a few more in here that we want to hit but that's that'll be next week but now we're we're doing at least one every week every episode so yeah we're, so we're, they don't build up as much at least that's right cool cool Alrighty. well thank you everyone um thank you guys for being here with me as well thank you everyone <laughs> looking yeah. at you too yeah and we'll see you all in a couple weeks Awesome. Good night, everybody.